seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, we're going to end this mini-series today. We started it on the last week of Missions Month. It was Colossians 4 verse 2, and we talked about prayer. And it said that we basically learned how we should pray. The fact that we should continue earnestly and we should be vigilant, we should be on alert, awake, with thanksgiving. In other words, focused on God. And it should be other-centered as well as just praying for myself that we would, as Paul said, meanwhile praying also for us. By the way, this whole passage is moving towards the subject matter of today, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace. And he's talking about witnessing. He's talking about how are you going to respond to those outside the faith. So he moves in three different verb, three different directions here. I mean, all going down the same path. First of all, verse 2, you pray. By the way, even Paul, look at Paul, what he said in the second part of verse 3 that God would open to us a door for the Word. That's witnessing. So we pray, and we pray, and we pray that the door would be opened. But we have to do more than just pray and witness. Verse 5 says we need to walk. We need to walk. We need to live the faith out. So we pray, we walk. As we looked at last week, we need to walk Consistently, because that word walk is in the present tense. It means you are consistent in it, which is the very difficult thing. And you walk godly and even carefully because it says redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. It's not just about praying and then witnessing. It's about praying, walking, and witnessing, i.e. sharing. That's why the message title is Praying, Living, Sharing. Praying, living, sharing. We have to do all three of these if we're going to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. But the the question that came to mind as I was studying this is, do do I care? Do you care? You know, when we talk about witnessing, do you care? Do you care to be obedient to God when He says, go, therefore, make disciples? Do I? Do I care that people are going to hell? Do I really? Or do I care about other things more? I mean, do I really care? I just had to ask that question. I think it's a good question because though we talk about prayer and though we talk about living the gospel and though we talk about sharing the gospel and we know that God wants us to do it, you know, even statistically it shows that very few Christians pray for the gospel to be given out and pray that they would actually themselves be able to witness. So you have to ask the question, do you care? I remember a story about D.L. Moody. He was in London during one of his famous evangelistic tours, and several British clergymen came to visit him. They wanted to know how and why this poorly educated American was so effective in winning many souls to the cause of Christ. Moody took the three men to the window of his hotel room and asked each in turn what he saw. One by one, the men described the people in the park below. Then Moody looked out the window with tears rolling down his cheeks. 
What do you see, Mr. Moody? asked one of the men. I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. See, his spectacles were different. He cared. He saw their plight. He understood their judgment. Again, D.L. Moody saw people differently than the average person saw them. And I'm afraid sometimes we forget that, right? We forget that there is a true, an actual literal hell. And that people are dying every day. And if they have not received Christ and His forgiveness, they will spend eternity there being punished for their sin. The wrath of God on them. When was the last time you shed a tear for a soul? When was the last time that you were driven to pray because you were so overwhelmed by the fact that that person would someday spend eternity away from God unless the message gets to them? You know, Jesus was very clear. It's interesting. In all four Gospels, at the very end of the Gospel, He tells His disciples, which also are us, like in Matthew 16, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Now, when He says creature, He's talking about every human being. By the way, when he says that to every person that's a believer to do that, I want, to, I want us to understand that when we talk about evangelism or witnessing, we're not talking about a program necessarily. It's not primarily an event. I know the kids went to Super Bowl, the, the uh, teen event that is primarily designed for evangelism. That is an event. And by the way, that is good. I'm not saying that's bad, but when we talk about evangelism, it's not just saying, well, like we have to put on Super Bowls or Christmas programs and things like that. It's not primarily an event. It's not primarily a program. It should be where each believer is driven by love for God and love for others and a desire to serve Christ by that is his mission, as it were. My mission is to get the gospel to the unreached, unsaved. To the outsiders, as verse 5 says. See, it's given to each one of us to accomplish. That's why in John 20, again, at the end of the gospel, Jesus looking at them said, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Do you see yourself as a sent one? I look around the room and I think, boy, we are really sent in a lot of diverse areas, aren't we? Think about all the differences that are represented here. The different families, the different working situations. Some of you work at a college, some of you work at a, at, a, at a store, some of you are independent, you work on your own, but you see literally probably hundreds of people throughout the month, throughout the year. And God has placed each one of us as little lighthouses around the area. But we have to see this this commission, I send you, you plural, I send you all into the mission field. And we have to see it as our calling, our motivation. That's why we're here. Really, other than evangelism, there's, everything else can be done better in heaven. We'll worship better in heaven. We will certainly get along better up there with each other. There won't be the issues. But we are called to evangelize. By the way, I'm not discounting worship. Worship is our greatest calling, glorifying the Lord. But one of the greatest ways to do that is by sharing with another person what Christ did on the cross. 
Once when walking down a certain street in Chicago, D.L. Moody stepped up to a man, the same D.L. Moody who had tears in his eye. He was just a perfect stranger to him and said to him, this is what Moody said to the man, Sir, are you a Christian? You mind your own business, was the reply. Moody replied, that is my business. See, Moody understood Matthew 28. Verse 18 says this. We usually start with, go therefore make disciples. But verse 18 says this, and Jesus came and spoke to them. Again, the disciples saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All authority has been given to me on both heaven and on earth. All of it's in my hands. All authority, all power, all right to be able to proclaim has been given to me. And then he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I.e., I'm transferring that responsibility and that right to you. When, when um, Moody said, that is my business, he was exactly right biblically. You, you can never have someone tell you, it's none of your business what I believe, and I don't want to hear truth, because Christ himself, the king, assigned it to you to give out the truth. So again, we need to be bold. So as we get back into the text, we pray, we walk. By the way, if you're praying and not walking the Christian life, if you don't have integrity, which we all don't have at points in time, we I understand that. Again, it's breaking down the effectiveness of the gospel because they don't see it in your life. What is the gospel at its very root? It's a transformation of our lives. He brings us from death to life. He brings us from blindness to be able to see. He brings us from the old way to the new way. And we need to show that. That's why that second point, in, in, it says walk in wisdom. 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 The idea was godly. Walk in a godly way. Walk in a way that pleases Christ. Walk in a way that is Christ-like. <clears throat> I love that verse in John 10 where it says, I, I came that they, us, believers, might have life and might have it abundantly. Overflowing life. Do you have overflowing life? Have you been showing that this last week? I know at points I didn't. I had to go back and confess. I hope you're quick to confess because we need to live that abundant life. That's one of the ways that God proclaims the gospel to a dark world. Look at Him. Look at how different He is. Look at how different He is when He's even hit with hard situations. Our life should be abundant and overflowing and full. It should be that fragrance that we saw last week in 2 Corinthians. The fragrance of Christ. It just should be like you're different i.e., you make people thirsty. Do, under, do unbelievers think of you and then they say, I want what you have, like I'm hungry for what you have, I'm thirsty for what you have? Oh, you're not perfect, but I see something different. I think that's what Jesus is talking about in John 7 when he says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The idea is, I can't, I can't solve your thirst problem and your hunger problem, but I know one who can. And again, obviously I'm not talking about <coughs> the physical. It's where a person sees, I, I want what you have. I, I don't have your peace. I don't have your contentment. I, I don't have your, your, your attitude and your value system that is looking forward and actually saying, I'm not fearing death. I, I, I want that. 
I remember a young salesman was one time disappointed about losing a big sale, and as he talked with his sales manager, he just lamented over the sale he didn't get. And, and the young guy said this, I guess it just proves that you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the manager replied, son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. As a Christian, that's what we're to do. Part of what he's talking about, be salt. Make people thirsty. Our lives should be so filled with Christ that they create a thirst for the gospel among others. Unfortunately, we get hooked into being conformed to this world. We forget that's the job. By the way, when we forget that's the job, one of the first things that's going to go out is praying for unsaved people. If you find yourself not praying for unsaved people and then praying that you will have a witness to those people, not someone else, you know, get pastor there. No, you go. You know them. But if you find yourself not praying, I would suggest to you that you're you're following the path of the world. That's not our purpose. Jesus sent us. And he's only going to leave us on this earth for a very short time. And I would say most likely we won't even die. Many of us, I don't think, are going to see death. I think we're going to see the end of the book of Revelation played out very soon. Don't you? Do you, under, do you think, I mean, do you see around you all that's happening? We're coming to a close. One thing that you find out, you know, one thing that's been proven in the last hundred years is man cannot rule man. It's been true for the last 5,000 years, but it's really being proved now. Man cannot rule man. We, can't, we need somebody. Unfortunately, the world's going to find the wrong guy first, and the right king will come second. But man cannot rule man. So, but we can be lights, little f- lights in the world. That's why he says, make the most of the opportunity. Live carefully. We're still on this idea of living. Verse 5. I found an interesting concept by John Stott. John Stott was one of the best theologians, best preachers of the last century in England. And this is what he wrote. Somewhat lengthy, but it's worth us understanding how can we make impact in the world. He says, every Christian has a role in making visible the gospel of the invisible God. Do you see how hard that is right there? We're supposed to make visible what is invisible, the invisible God. God's love supremely is to be revealed in the church. The invincibility, excuse me, the invisibility of God is a great problem. He, He goes all the way back. He says, it was already a problem to God's people in the Old Testament. Their pagan neighbors would taunt them saying, where is your God now? Because he was invisible. Their gods were visible and tangible, that's the pagans, but Israel's God was neither. Today in our scientific culture, young people are taught not to believe in anything which is not open to empirical investigation. How then has God solved the problem of his own invisibility? It says in Scripture you can't see God. Well, the first answer is, of course, in Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. John 1. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He's declared Him. Oh, now we have it solved. You want to see God? See Christ. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. That's what he says, right? He has declared Him. I like that last word. That word declared means exegete. Exegese. He's exegeted Him for us. You look at Jesus, you've seen the God the Father. Obviously, the Trinity we're talking about. 
That's wonderful, people say, but that was 2,000 years ago that Christ walked on this earth. Is there no way by which the invisible God makes Himself visible today? Actually, there is. In in 1 John 4.12, it says almost exactly like He said in John 1, No one has seen God at any time. That's what 1 John 4.12 says. No one has seen God at any time. Same introductory thoughts. But instead of continuing with reference to the Son of God, it continues this way. Now, catch this. This is really actually profound. If we love one another, God abides in us. How was God seen in the first century? Jesus Christ. From that century on, Christ is gone. He's, he's in heaven. But how does, how does people see us? I mean, excuse me. How does people see the invisible God? Through us. But specifically like this, if we love one another. In other words... Stock goes on and says, The invisible God who once made himself visible in Christ now makes himself visible in Christians. Again, if we love one another. It is a breathtaking claim. The local church, i.e. AABC, cannot evangelize proclaiming the gospel of love if it is not itself a community of love. Did you get that? We will have greater and greater impact as we love Christ, as we love God, and as we love one another. Because that's how God is seen. How is the invisible God seen in this world today? Through the love of believers for each other. One of the main reasons we must be a community of love is so that others will know the God of love. God made people in His own image to know Him. And the life of the local congregation makes the audible gospel visible. Then we can have part in event. Then we can be truly effective. Why? Because they love one another. By the way, have you ever felt like this? Boy, I just want to sense and experience the power in the love of Christ. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like that? Well, in one sense, it's easy to love God because He's perfect. In that sense, it is. No, it isn't because He says, with all your heart and mind, souls. But He's perfect. It's pretty easy to love a perfect person, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. Some of you are married to perfect spouses. It's pretty easy, right? But I'll tell you how you experience the love and the power of God when God brings in an imperfect person in your life. And now you have to love that person because you want to for Christ's sake. But you do it outside of your own strength. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we pray for things and we really don't understand what we're praying for. Lord, I want to experience your love and power in my life. Okay, John, I'll send you some hard people in hard situations. Well, no, I don't want that. I want to, you know... <laughs> this morning down in ABF, one of the thoughts we had were coming out was that we avoid hard situations, but if we avoid hard situations, it keeps us in infancy as a Christian. See, God wants to mature us through the hard times. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another English preacher, said this, evangelism is preeminently dependent. Evangelism, witnessing, is preeminently dependent upon the quality of the Christian life which is known and enjoyed in the church. We can't go proclaiming that, that God is the reconciler of mankind, that God's love is shown upon man, that he loves us, that he has um, purchased us, that he empowers us, and then have infighting in the church and a lack of love. Because the world says, well, I thought your God was so great. I thought he was so big. I thought he was so powerful. I thought he was so loving. 
You can't even get around, get, you know, get along with your own sisters and brothers, supposedly, that you say. Right? Do you see how this works out? So that's setting us up to evangelize just how we live. It's interesting how this is played out, you know, again, over and over again in our lives. He gives us situations to show that love. What's your love like? There was a story of this um, this gem dealer, a jeweler dealer. His name was Harry Winston. I, I think I've told you this story once before at least. But anyways, he had, a, he had a, a place to sell his diamonds and gems, and he had a very wealthy customer come in, and he sat down, and one of his associates sat down with him and started showing him the specific diamond, I think it was. And um, the guy that could have bought the diamond said it this way, it's a wonderful stone, but not exactly what I want. And then Winston looked at the diamond, you know, and got the diamond. Actually, he watched the guy, and the guy was about ready to leave. And he just he came up to the, the possible customer and said, uh, do you mind if I show you the diamond once more? And the guy, you know, said, yeah, I'll, I'll look at it one more time. I just looked at it with your associate, but I'll, you know. Winston took the stone in his hand. He, he did not repeat anything that the salesman had just said. He simply talked about the gem as an object of deep beauty. Abruptly, the customer changed his mind and bought the diamond. While he was waiting for it he, to be brought to him, he turned to Winston and said this, Why did I buy it willingly from you, though I had no difficulty saying no to the salesperson? I mean, what's the difference? Why am I so drawn to this gem at this moment when just a few minutes ago I was ready to walk out the door? Winston answered, That salesman is one of the best men in the business. He knows diamonds, but I love them. Do you see the difference between knowing something and someone and loving that person? It's the difference between, I've got to share Christ with them to get this guilt out of my life, versus, I just love Jesus Christ and I want you to know who he is. There is a huge difference there. A huge motivational difference, isn't there? By the way, we do talk about what we love, don't we? If I was able to walk with you for a week, seven days, just, you know, fly on the wall, I could tell you exactly what you love. And, I could, and you could tell the same with me, right? We do talk about what we love. We, well, Jesus even said, out of the heart comes with the things we say, right? If I was able to listen to you for seven days, I would know what you love. God listens to all of us. And he knows what we love. People around us know what we love. We're in uh, sports season right now. And by the way, I like talking sports periodically. But I hope that we love Christ more than we love those sports teams that are in Section 5 and Section 6 and whatever else, right? No, I'm, I'm not saying that as a criticism of the sports. I'm saying this that sometimes we get more excited about something that I can't even remember a, a year later. Like, I couldn't even tell you four, year, four years ago who won the Super Bowl. I really can't. I'm sure some of you probably can. Don't scream it out. But the point... But isn't it sad that we remember that, and if people walked with us, they'd say, you know, I know what you love, but it's not what you say you love. I trust that we're like this diamond owner, but I love them. But let's not love diamonds. Let's love the Lord. If that's in our heart, sharing, excuse me, praying, and then living, then we can share, okay? I mean, you can, you can share without those things, but we should be praying and we should be living the gospel. 
That's what's showing that I care. I care about what Christ thinks. I care about what other, where other people are going to spend eternity. So we go to sharing. Let, let's look at three things that he mentioned in, in verse 6. First of all, always be with grace. We need to share graciously. Notice the word always. That's consistency again right there. With grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Right? But here, what is he talking about here? It means that our speech is uplifting and pleasant. I don't mean nice. I'm saying pleasant in the sense of constructive. That's what he's getting at. Compassionate. Good. Truthful. By the way, you'd always want to share truth, right? That's what saves the soul. Loving. The word grace would encompass all of that. We must share graciously. Speak truth that edifies and profits the receiver. Don't speak things that are valueless and worthless. Small talk. There's a place for small talk. I remember when I first got married for a number of years. I'm I'm more of a deep talker. Let's just get to the deep stuff. And my wife is my sola. I love her because she's helped me so many areas. John, just enjoy it. Just let's talk about some insignificant things that we don't have to solve a problem at. <laughs> Can you imagine that she actually thought I was a problem solver? <laughs> I'm a fixer. You know what? The small talk is important if it's really because I care about you, okay? Because that's part of relationship building. I'm not discounting that. But if it only stays about that and never gets into how this person can understand the truth of God, then we haven't been a true friend or a true you know, relation or uh, family member to that person. So again, there's a balance. But the idea of gracious is I care about you and I want to show you truth. And again, that's even small talk at times. But I want to, I want to, I want to make it this way, that when I leave the conversation, this is what Paul's saying, you are further along in, in, in knowing and loving the things that really are important in this world, and especially God, right? In other words, it's constructive, not, not destructive. Sometimes our speech unknowingly is destructive, not because we're swearing and all that, it's because it's valueless. It has no purpose. So again, we have to be gracious. I, I like what Second Timothy 2, 24 In 25 says, it says, The Lord's bondservant, the Lord's slave, must not be quarrelsome. By the way, this passage is talking about how we as believers respond to those who disagree with us. But it says this, The the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind. That actually is the word constructive. Able to teach. In other words, go in the direction that the person needs to understand. Patient when wronged. Patient. Be able to run with that person, even when they, they hurt you and say mean things about you. And with gentleness, verse 25, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. So I'm, so I'm not going to quarrel with them. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be gentle. Because maybe, just maybe, the Lord will grant them repentance. You're talking to your boss. You're talking to your friend. You're talking to your neighbor. You're talking to your family member. They are in opposition to you. They don't agree. They're not Christian, and you are. But as you approach them, if we approach them, I'm not trying to quarrel with you. And I'm going to be kind 
and patient and gentle. And I'm praying that the Lord will change your heart because I know this, that if you change, it's not because I've convinced you. This is not about a debate. It's because God has changed your heart. And as long as I keep that in mind, see, this is the point. We proclaim Christ. We don't push Him. You ever Have you ever witnessed to somebody and then they said no? Maybe they even got upset about it. And then what do you, sometimes we feel like a failure. No. Wait a second. If God would grant them repentance, faith is a gift. Ephesians says that, Ephesians 2. So as I'm sharing, the, the burden is off of me of them having to make the decision. By the way, I don't even like that word. It's really a commitment. But it's, it's, the pressure is off of us, guys, right? But I'll tell you where the pressure is, is for you to be a witness. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, right? You will. You're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. What, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, what? Uttermost part, you will be my witnesses. It's, it's whether or not are we a good witness. The question is not whether we are, it's whether we're a good one. So again, we don't push Christ, we proclaim Him. And the pressure is off because if, if repentance has been granted to them, or if faith has been given to them, it's from God. That's a gift. God has opened their eyes, they've received the good news. So we can, by the way, all that means we can share graciously because we don't have to manipulate the process. We don't have to feel like, well, if they don't receive, I fail. If you think that, you will manipulate that process somehow, right? Because my success is part of how you respond. And that's where you get into a lot of false professions. Hey, how about number two? We must share appealingly. It says seasoned with salt. How many of you are salt addicts? Come on, let's be, yeah, okay, we have a few here. How many of you like salt on watermelon? I think I asked you this a couple months ago. Really? Oh, that's great. See, I, I used to put it on. I don't anymore because of health reasons. Um, when he says season with salt, he is talking appealingly. Share in a way that appeals to the person. By the way, there was a couple, there's a number of re, uh, ways, reasons you use salt. One of, was, one of the reasons was for because of corruption. You put salt on meat, you put salt on food items, and it would stop it from the corruption process. By the way, that's what he means in verse 5 when it says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. They're the ones who are corrupt. Without God, darkness. In fact, this is a good, uh, just a good example of what they are. In Ephesians 4, 17, it says this, As the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, that's corruption, futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, they have a darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God, they don't have the life of God in them, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, their past feeling, and given over to lewdness. Boy, that's a pretty bad indictment on a person, isn't it? You don't have to turn, but again, Ephesians 4, 17, that's just a great illustration or a great explanation of who the unsaved, what they are. By the way, you don't leave here and say, oh, there's one of those alienated ones, you know, and like look at them differently. But you start understanding, okay, I'm sharing Christ with them. The pressure is off of me of them receiving. But I'm going to be really praying because the futility of their mind, their understanding darkened. Think of your father if he's still living and not a believer. That's what he is. Or your 
employer or your friend at work or your neighbor. Ignorance, blindness, past feeling, alienated, futility of their mind. I mean, okay, I have a lot of patience now. (coughs) Salt rescues from corruption. Seasoned with salt means that you're going to bring that person. I think partly he's talking about bringing that person to an understanding of truth, rescuing him from corruption. But the other thing that salt does is it... it, um, makes food appetizing to the palate. It makes it more pleasing, more attractive. It excites the interest in the food. A blah piece of steak adds some seasoning. You know? Especially if it's a cheap piece of steak. Add a lot of seasoning. That's what we're called to do. Not, not witness in an insipid way, just a blah. Ugh. But like well-seasoned food we give out truth and it edifies those who hear it. In other words, salty speech can create an interest to hear the gospel. That's what I'm trying to get at here. And I think that's what Paul is talking about when when I mean appealingly. Seasoned with salt. You're making the gospel appealing even to the darkened heart and darkened mind. Years ago, my son and I Caden especially loved watching these fishing videos. Now, I'm not a fisherman, okay, but I love watching fishing. It's really great to be able to watch fishing videos in the comfort of your own home. You don't have to be out. <laughs> and I used to fish a lot with my dad on Lake Erie, but just have kind of gone away from him for these years. But anyways, well, one of the things he brought up was, you know, again, he, I'm sure he was out there for like 24 hours, but he just gives you the 30 minutes. It's really exciting. But he would always talk... You know, that in order to catch fish, there's a lot of variables. Water temperature, water depth, clarity of the water, the speed that the spinner goes through the water, the size of that compared to the fish that you're trying to get, the time of year, the cloud cover. Like, what are you going to use? Are you going to use minnows? Are you going to use worms, plastics? Are you going to use rattle traps, spinners, buzz baits? I mean, what are you, Jake, what are you going to use? I mean... That's where it gets like, oh, frustrating. Yeah, come on, just give me the worm. But the idea is this. A lot of different fish, a lot of different temperaments, if you will, different times of year. You've got to know what you're doing. Well, maybe we should feel the same way when it comes to people. That's why canned approach is not good. Okay, you are a sinner, God is holy. Well, yeah, that's all true, and that has to be part of the scenario. But let's, how do you draw them in? You know, what, what I find is this, if I, can, if I can get it going in the conversation, then it's like, Lord, yeah, just get... But it's like getting the person into the conversation. Well, let me give you some conversation starters. By the way, I think on your sheet it says three. It's supposed to be one, one. Conversation starter. After talking to someone for a while, you may transition into a one of these starters. By the way, a poor question are always those that can be answered with a yes or no. You want to have it open-ended. You want to get them talking, not yes, no. You know Christ, no. Okay. Uh, you know, you want to get it... All right, let me, let me maybe give you some... What is your religious background? And by the way, if they tell you, don't then stomp on them. I can't believe you're so foolish. That might be a good one. By the way, these, are, these would be good to keep around. And then your Bible. You know, you get an opportunity. Oh, what is a conversation starter? Uh, how have your ideas about God changed since? Now, again, if they're a 30-year-old, since college, since you just got married, uh, since having children, 
How has your idea about God changed since being in this job for 25 years? Or the death of a friend or death of a spouse or being in the military? The idea is you're applying it to their situation. How is God? By the way, that is a good question. How is God? Oh, when I was a kid, I went to church all the time, went forward, but I had forgotten him totally. In fact, I don't even think he exists. Well, you just know, you know what his concept of God is. How about number three? By the way, are you, interest, are you interested in spiritual things? Now, that could just say a yes or no. But how about this? What do you think a real Christian is? Well, a real Christian he goes to church and obeys the Bible, and, you know, if he's good, he'll probably go to heaven. See, now you understand. Well, wait a second. Not even our righteousness is filthy, right? Or have you ever personally trusted Christ, or are you still on the way? Now, that's a yes or no, but it can also go into a further... Um, how far on the way are you? Would you like to become a, a real Christian? Would you like to? No, yes, maybe, not sure. How about another one? Have you come to the place have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that you if you were to die today you would go to heaven? And if they say yes, then well, let me ask you, how do you know that? What are what are what's a biblical basis for that? I think James Kennedy always would say, why should, if, uh, suppose that you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, my heaven, what would you say? Again, not a yes or no. But that's a good one. That's, I think, out of evangelism explosion. A question that determines where God is working in the person's life. These are like sequential. Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? No. To, who, to you, who is Jesus? They might try to explain, maybe moral man. <coughs> Do you believe there is a heaven and a hell? That's going to be a big one. If you died right now, where would you go? If heaven, why? I like this last part, because I've used this a number of times. If what you believe were not true, if it was false, if it was wrong, would you want to know it? That is a very good one. And then just let them answer. Don't keep talking. If they say yes, what have they just said? Yeah, I want you to tell me. Take out the Bible. If they say no, I don't want to know it. Don't say anything. Like, just walk away. Sometimes they might even stop you. Well, no, no, I, I really do want to know. I mean, if what you believe is wrong, do you want to know it? Those are some good conversation starters, especially that last one. I like using that one. How about this, conversation turners? This is where you're in a conversation and you're just trying to turn it. Someone complains about the developments in this world. There's a lot to complain about, by the way. I'm sure that's a full, you know. But this could be the response. Why do you think people do such terrible things? Why is there evil in the world? Why do you think God thinks? What do you think God thinks of that? Actually... The whole concept of why is there suffering in this world is one of the biggest questions on everybody's mind. And the way you answer that, many people say this, that either God is not loving or he is not all-powerful or maybe he's neither. Okay, But how can he be an all-loving, all-powerful God and allow evils? Do you see the point? So why are all these problems in the world? We have to answer that for them. How about another situation? Someone asks you, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. How about this? What if I said this? I teach and explain the mysteries of the universe. (laughs) I've tried that once. (laughs) 
You know, they're like, what? Well, isn't God the mystery of the universe? You know, what do you do? I mean, you have to apply this like a scientist. I'm involved in figuring out the structure of God's universe. I mean, the idea is don't just give it the... Give it so that some, they're like... they're they're inter, Salt, seasoned as salt. We, we like the canned approach. It's almost like... Play. God is holy. You know, we just try to get through it. And we have to say, wait a second here. These are people. They have questions. They all come from different backgrounds. Final situation. Someone is telling of their good fortune or luck in a matter. They'll use that word. Well, do you think that God has a reason for allowing you to experience this good thing? I mean, how do you account for the good things that have happened to you? Do they bring it back at all to God? I mean, there's, you know... I like what Socrates, he was obviously not a believer thousands of years ago, but this is what he used to tell his uh, students. He says, I need to teach you two sciences. One is how to hold your tongue, and the other is how to use it. And I think when it comes to witnessing and dealing with the outsiders, we need to learn how to hold our tongue and how to use it. Because Proverbs says this, How delightful is a timely word. How delightful. And how undelightful is an untimely word. I mean, we've all had that in family situations, right? 10.30 at night, and that person wants to argue. They want to bring something up. That's an untimely word. No, we want to have a timely word. Or as Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. So we want to use words that are timely and fitly spoken. So again, we're going to be using... We're going to share appealingly and then finally share specifically that you may know how, verse 6, the last part, you ought to answer each one. Learn to know how to answer each one. First Peter says, always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Be willing and able and answer. Right? That's specifically... Know how you ought to answer. And I gave you some questions there. Again, we're not going to go through them. But these are questions that are out there. By the way, we're going to do an ABF on this. Maybe use Paul Little's book because he did a great... um, uh, It's on apologetics. In other words, answering the questions that are out there. The key questions. And there's a lot more, but these are some of them. Is Christianity rational? A lot of people. I know a lot of people up in Alfred think don't think you know they, that we are. <laughs> is there really a God? Is Jesus Christ God come in the flesh? Now I'm giving you these not to answer them, but to say these are going to be questions. If you knew these questions, you would you would be 85 percent of the way along as far as being able to be an effective witness because things would come up and you'd be. Oh, I'll tell you how it is. Did Christ rise from the dead? Obviously, the gospel hinges on that truth. Is Christ the only way to God? I mean, we've got all these other religions. Is the Bible God's word? How accurate is the Bible? Are the Bible documents reliable? A lot of, by the way, these questions actually come right from that book. Again, if you wanted to have a hands-on, you know, 100 some pages, just answer it right now. Does archaeology help? Or does that disprove the claims of Scripture? Are miracles possible? Do science and Scripture conflict? That's what Answers in Genesis is all about. Why is there suffering? And why does God allow suffering evil? That's the big question. 
Does Christianity differ from other religions? Will God judge those who have never heard? Isn't salvation by faith too simple? What does it mean to believe? What about good works? I mean, can you just live like the devil after you get saved? Can anyone be sure of salvation? This is a number of questions that you should consider. How would, because if you're going to have the right answer, you've got to be able to you know, know it's coming. And, and those, I would say 90% of the time, somewhere within that, you're going to, when you're witnessing, sharing, that's what you're going to have to answer. They're going to have questions about the Bible. They're going to have questions about God. They're going to have questions about this world and suffering. They're going to have questions about Christ. So again, we must answer specifically that you may know how to answer each one. How to answer each one. You don't want to answer the, the question of, is the Bible reliable, if their question is, is Jesus Christ truly God? Canned approach would start at the beginning. Oh no, that's fine. Now, are you, you believe the Bible? Let me show you what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. Let's go to 1 John. So, specifically, these are some of the questions just for you to chew on. And then finally... But what is the message? And I have adapted this, by the way, from a man named Mark Deaver. I mean, I could have written this, but I thought, you know, I just want to adapt it. In other words, what is the good news? What is the good news? The good news is that a person can be forgiven through the sacrifice of Christ. But I've heard people say, well, I gave the gospel, and I heard them share whatever they shared. And I'm like, that's not the gospel. That might be a good testimony, But that's not the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is that Christ died, was uh, died, buried, resurrected. Well, yeah, that. But but Christ crucified. Yeah, but but wait a second. Why was Christ crucified? Okay, this I believe is a good summary, and you can kind of look at you know what I want to share. These are the things I need to share. The good news is that the one and only God, who is holy, made us in His image to know Him. But we sin through Adam and personally and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Christ, lived a perfect life, thus fulfilling the law himself, and died on the cross, thus taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. Jesus rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and that God's wrath wrath against us had been exhausted on him. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ, we are born again into a new and eternal life with God. I believe you start breaking that down. Yeah, okay, that is the gospel. That's what it means to be Christ crucified, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But how does it play in? Because he became a substitute for me. He became a substitute for you. By the way, have you received him? See, we can talk about Christ, but have you personally understood your sinfulness and reached out and received him, repented of your sins, and asked him to forgive your sins and believed on him? Have you done that? You know, he will. It says whoever believes on the Lord will be saved, right? But even that, whoever we mean believe. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, that he went to the cross as a substitute, that his, his death was complete. It is finished. Everything that is needed for salvation was accomplished on the cross, and you reach out and receive him. So we have to learn to speak the right word at the right time to the right person. Have you? Do you care? I'll go back to the original question. Do you care? 
Do I care? Is there a driving passion in my heart to have people understand who Jesus Christ is? Am I praying towards that? Am I living the gospel out? And am I sharing? And if I want to share, am I preparing myself for that time? Because one of the prayers I'm going to ask is this. Lord, this person needs you. Send me. And when I'm sent, I need to make sure that I'm prepared, right? You know, Henry Ford purchased a very large insurance policy 100 years ago before he died. And this is what was interesting about this insurance policy. He didn't go to his best friend to get it because his best friend was a, or one of his good friends was an insurance agent. And after Henry Ford purchased this insurance policy, somehow it got into the Detroit paper. Like, I don't know, thankfully today that doesn't happen, but I guess they didn't have much news that day. And so the, um, the insurance agent, which was a friend of uh, Henry's, came to him, quite distraught, frustrated, really. You know, why didn't you buy your insurance policy from me? I sell it. And this is what Ford's reply was, you never asked me. How many of our friends can say to us, you never asked me as to our sharing Christ with them? Wouldn't that be sad? If there were close, dear friends who were outsiders who were never told about Christ by our lips. Maybe because we forgot, maybe because maybe they would be offended, but for whatever reason, we never shared Christ. You never asked me. I trust we would be people that would be asking, right? Learn the questions so that we can be salt to them. Let's stand as we worship Christ.